Maybe you've wondered how a company like Google built their brand and became the number one search engine in the world. Or perhaps how Apple created a massive following based on their flagship product, the iPhone. These are things we might think of when we think of a company, product, or service. But have you ever wondered how a phrase like trick or treat came about and how it became synonymous with the day of Halloween? Which, by the way, is the United States' second largest commercial holiday helping candy brands rake in an estimated $2.6 billion. You're listening to the Branding for Entertainers podcast, where we talk about your visual, verbal, and virtual brand and why it matters. This podcast helps entertainers grow and become someone that your clients and audience remember long after your gig is over. And now, here's your host, Billy Diamond. Hello, my ghoulish friends. My name is Billy Diamond, and it is Halloween evening, or as they say, All Hallows' Eve. It's the night when all the little ghosts and goblins dress in costumes, travel from house to house, asking for treats with that magical phrase, trick or treat. Now, this got me thinking, though. How did those three little words make their way into the Halloween tradition we know today? Before we get started with today's episode, I'm going to tell you the story. It was the early 20th century in the United States when Irish and Scottish communities revived the old world traditions of souling and guising. By the 1920s, pranks had become the Halloween activity of choice, usually for unruly young people. Halloween mischief often turned into vandalism, physical assaults, and even acts of violence. In the 1930s, during the Great Depression, this problem was compounded even more. Now, one theory suggests that excessive pranks on Halloween, well, that's actually what led to the widespread adoption of an organized community-based trick-or-treating night. However, this new tradition, it was actually abruptly shut down with the outbreak of World War II. On January 8th, 1940, a person could only get 8 ounces of sugar a week, and sugar rations meant there were fewer treats to hand out, especially during Halloween. The nation's supply of sugar was quickly reduced by more than one-third, and this also meant candy suppliers like Hershey Chocolate here in Hershey, PA, where I live, well, they shifted to war efforts and ration production. However, things shifted back at the height of the post-war baby boom era. Trick-or-treating actually reclaimed its place, and companies like Hershey Chocolate and even Reese's, known, of course, for their Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, were no longer constrained by sugar rationing. Candy companies capitalized on the lucrative ritual launching national advertising campaigns specifically aimed at Halloween, and it quickly became standard practice for millions of children in America's cities and the newly built suburbs. So, the next time you hear a costume child at your doorstep uttering the phrase, trick or treat, just know you know the rest of the story. And now, let's get back to the second podcast episode with my friend, magician, and historian, Dean Carnegie. You know, there are so many entertainers right now. That's you, it's me, and just about everybody. You can be stuck in the circumstance of COVID-19, not working. History kind of has a way of repeating itself, right? Mm -hmm. So... 
I don't know. Are there any stories that you can share with us about uh, history, whether I don't know whether that was the uh, Depression or anything in major in history that maybe, you know, as entertainers just like us, they had to go through? Is there anything that kind of sticks out in your mind that you know about history that you could maybe share with us? And maybe maybe that'll inspire us, too, to realize that history does repeat itself and that everything that's going on right now is is really temporary. And we definitely have to think out of the box. Well, the big one, and this is, I thought of this the moment this all began to happen, which was the Spanish flu of 1918, 1919, um, that was a worldwide pandemic. I mean, it wasn't just isolated to the United States. And if you look at the numbers, I mean, 500 million people across the globe got sick and somewhere between 50 and 100 million of them passed away. So the numbers, if you look at that compared to what we're dealing with, they're not even close. They're in the same category, Um, you know, but, you know, that's not the not to say that this uh, the COVID isn't deadly. It, It can be, but it wasn't anything like the Spanish flu. Now, your question, of course, is, you know, what did magicians do? Well, a lot of them uh, were stuck in the situation like we are, which is uh, the venues closed. Uh, a number, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, statewide or worldwide, but if, uh, if there were a lot of sick people in a particular area, they may have closed the theaters in that particular area. Um, usually it was the local mayor that would make the decision. But uh, they did close theaters and they, you know, and in some cases closed businesses while this was happening. But, um, you know, it wasn't like it is now. You know, they, you know, back then, I don't think, you know, every business closed and you couldn't leave your house and you had to have all these restrictions. I don't believe that was the case. But they did have restrictions on the theater. So, you know, that put a lot of magicians out of work, Uh, unbeknownst to most people. Harry Houdini, one of the most famous magicians of all time, he got the flu. Wow. Uh, it, he didn't die from it, right. but, you know, he got sick. And there are quite a few people that got sick. And one of my favorite stories, and I cover it in the podcast, is about Harlan Tarbell, who was overseas uh, performing. In, uh, and I guess this was, yeah, this was around World War One, So it was the same time the Spanish flu was going on. And he would visit these... Uh, small towns in Italy and he went to visit this one town and uh, he did a little bit of magic and they thought he was a, you know, thought he was <laughs> the real deal. And uh, the, you know, it would be like this big celebration when the magic guy came to town. And then somebody came to him at some point and said, look, everyone in my village is dying because of this disease. And Tarbell was, who was also a doctor was like, you know, I think people are dying more from fear wow. than they are from, from the actual disease. Wow. And uh, so he goes into, uh, and again, this is, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but this is, this is just history. This is what he did. He went back to the village and he kind of did, you know, one of these little cast a spell over everything. So, you know, people will be safe and be healthy and get through this. And after he did that, not, not one person passed away. Wow. So you think it was just the power of psychology? Uh, Well, you know, clearly people died from the disease. There's no question. But it gets to a point that uh, you're so fearful of something that, you know, 
you're bringing it upon yourself at that point. You're just, you know, sure. giving up. Right. And by the way, I, not... I, I remember, I do remember that podcast. I can't remember what number it is. I don't know if you know off the top of your head, but I, I will put it in the show notes for sure. Uh, it's very interesting. I want to say it's in the 40s or something like that. I forget how many podcasts you have right now, but I want to say it's like in 40 something or other. Um, and I do remember that now that you're, you're retelling 49, the story. episode 49. So, yep. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's very, very cool, very interesting. You know, they didn't have the technology we have now, <laughs> right? So, I mean, I think we have a, a really great ability to think out of the box a little bit more. Um, but, to, but, but before we even get into that, I mean, did, did these guys, aside from uh, Tarbo, did, did anybody do anything like really unique or different that in your research, in your history – uh, for example, like Houdini, did he do anything differently, or how how did these guys survive that financially and and otherwise? Do you know any history on that at all? I have not really been able to dig up anything that specific, um, other than like I said, you know, they, they endured while a particular theater closed. But sure. again, it wasn't nationwide; it wasn't every theater in the country. So. If uh, the theaters in Boston closed, they could still go to Philadelphia. Gotcha, gotcha. Go so unlike Albany. unlike with what we have now, where they're like, "Well, you're just not going to go there," and just everything's shut exactly. down. Boom. But okay, yeah. well then maybe this is a good segue because uh, we do have so much opportunity now. Why don't you tell us what what you're doing? What I think a lot of entertainers are doing as well, but but specifically you. Tell us tell us how you've transitioned during the course of this, and and what it is that. Uh, yeah. Don't give away all your secrets. <laughs> I shouldn't say that because honestly, I, I always say this, you know, we always think that everybody jumps on the same bandwagon, but I always say this with branding. I think it's really important. You know, you find you and you find out what is really unique about you. And once you have that, whether that's your personality, whatever that is about you as an individual and your passion, man, you can take that and you just fly with it. And you're not considered competition for a lot of people. So, so with that being said, what is it you're doing and your passions and what it is that you love to do, continue to do? How have you transitioned into dealing with COVID and still making a living doing what you love to do? Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode so far with my special guest today, Dean Carnegie. At this time, I just want to introduce you really quick to Dean's magic podcast called The Magic Detective. If you are a history buff of magic or you're just interested in the history of magic, this is the go-to podcast to listen to. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Let me let Dean explain it to you right now. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about Dean's transition from doing live shows to what he's doing right now. So stay tuned. If you like the history of magicians and the history of magic, you are going to love the Magic Detective podcast. In the two years that I've already done the podcast, I've covered topics like Harry Keller, Doug Henning, Bautier de Culta, Jermaine the Wizard, T. Nelson Downs, and more. Season three is right around the corner, and I'll start with some spookier content. I've got new segments in store for season three and many surprises. To hear the podcast, go online to magicdetectivepodcast.com, or you can look up Magic Detective on your podcasting device. My show is run on all the major podcast providers. I'm Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective, and I look forward to having you as a new listener during Season 3. 
And there you have it. Just like that, we are back. Thank you so much, Dean. Could you do us a favor now that we're back and just tell us what have you done uh, during COVID and just trying to make that transitional period between what were live shows to what you're doing now? Let me start with this. When when it all happened, I, I remember my last show was on March the 13th. And March and October are always my busiest months. Mm, yeah, yeah. And um, I had a ton of shows booked in March. So March 13th is right there in the middle of the month. So I'm losing ungodly amounts of money. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, what, how am I going to deal with this? What am I going to do? If this, they say, you know, back then they were saying it's probably going to be um, the restrictions will be lifted by first week of April, maybe second week of <laughs> April. And I'm like, okay, all right. So for a couple days, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find some, uh, some lessons online on different things. So I found a guy teaching coin magic lessons. I'm like, I'm going to brush up on my coin magic. And then I found somebody else teaching, uh, some sort of marketing. And I was like, all right, so I'm going to take those lessons. I'm going to educate myself. Absolutely. That's what I'm going to do while this is going on. Sure. And, uh, and then um, after a couple days, the thought occurred to me, wait a second. What if, the, what if it doesn't open in April? What if it goes to May? What if it goes to June? What if I lose my summer? Cause I already had a hundred shows booked in the summer. What happens then? Yeah. So, you know, I, I was like, okay, what am I going to do? Okay. Well, I did the only thing I can do. I'm going to, I'll do, I'll have to go online with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I guess that's an option. So um, I knew about this webinar company called Zoom. So I went on GoDaddy and I bought zoommagicshow.com. Wow. Good for you. Wow. <laughs> Had not even been on Zoom, didn't really know how it worked, but I bought it. Jeez, how smart is that? Wow, good for you. And uh, I bought that, and I'm like, oh, that's step one. Step two is going to be, you know, finding out what this stuff is, what this whole Zoom thing is. Hopefully, I didn't make a mistake. But if I did, it was, you know, $8 for a domain name, so big deal. Sure. So I uh, began to look into Zoom and, and educate myself on that, and I realized, okay, um, I'm going to need to convert a room into a, a, like a studio. So I bought some, you know, um, photography lights and a green screen and just started doing shows for friends. Um, un, you know, un, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not promoting it, just saying, Hey, can you watch this? I need you to watch this sure. so I can do this because I'm going to do some interactive stuff. I was going to say, and big, and big difference, right, between live entertainment and that transition. Sure. Yeah, and and that because that was one of the first things I realized. I'm like, wait, I can see them. They can see me. We can talk back and forth. I, holy crap, I can, I can do interactive things. I didn't know what anybody else was doing at the time. Um, I vaguely heard Paul Draper was doing an online show. He was the only one that I knew of, and I hadn't even seen his stuff or even looked at it. So I was like, well, I, this whole interactive thing, I knew there was a, there was something there. So I was, I was doing these shows for friends, testing out the material and discovering that, yeah, that's the key. The key is the whole interactive thing. That's what makes it, um, takes it from being a very interesting thing to watching a magic video on YouTube because 
you know, anybody can watch a magic video on YouTube. You will want to make this personalized and have them become part of the show. Sure. So that was, um, so that's what I started doing. And then uh, my shows that I had in the summertime, I started contacting the because I was doing summer camps in the summer. I started contacting them saying, look, um, if you're open, would you be interested in a virtual show, which is done live? And some of them were just like, when we're not, we're not going to have camp. And others were like, yeah, we'll do that. Wow. You know, because we can't have anybody in the door, but if that's an option for us to have a show, yeah, we'll do that. So uh, I salvaged some of my shows from the summertime and, uh, and it worked out really well. And of course, each one that I did, I learned more and more. Um, and I quickly started adding this and you mentioned the whole branding thing, other elements of me into the program. So it soon included magic history and, and other aspects of what I yeah. do, uh, so that the show was, you know, you could not really compare my show to somebody else's because it was, it was unique to me. Yeah. Taking your passions and what you love and incorporating it. Yeah. 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 You know, so very cool. And you're still doing Zoom shows now, right? Yeah, we're actually. I just decided that we're going to do one on Saturday, so we're doing a, a night of virtual magic on sat this coming Saturday. When you when you say we, is that a sponsored thing, or is that you're doing it yourself and you're? No, when I when I say we, uh, it's because I don't. I'm not actually doing the show by myself. I'm doing it with uh, a, a tech person. Nice. Um, I don't. I have a, te a tech person running all the. You know. The, the Zoom program, bringing people in and out and, and doing that. That seems to be a lesson that even Paul Draper talked about. Get somebody to do that for yeah. you. I guess it's no different than a live show, right? I mean, whether that's your music or cues or whatever, or lighting, whatever. Yeah, you kind of need that, right? So that you can focus on being the entertainer. Exactly. And, and I did that from day one, the very first one that we started doing that. Good for you. And it worked out perfectly. And it, and it makes things really smooth. Uh, it's just so hard to try and do it by yourself. And you're going to be getting into the Halloween season. Yep. So yeah. I imagine things are going to really open doors for you, I would think. Yeah. The Astonify show and the seance is actually, you know, from my repertoire. We already have that show. Mm -hmm. sure. We're just create, creating a virtual version of it. Yeah. And, um, how are you advertising then? They'll all be under zoommagicshow.com zoommagicshow.com so there you go folks so that's that's a good link right there so the the night of virtual magic is there the astonify shows there and i've decided we're doing a, another version of astonify which is uh, based on kind of loosely based on charles dickens uh so it's going to be the the ghosts of christmas past is the the, the subheading of it so we'll have a, a fun time with that um in late november december well, Dean, thank you so much for your time and being a part of our podcast. Here again, as I started out earlier by saying history does repeat itself, I truly believe that. Here's the cool part. I think that we will rebound as performers. It might take some time, but we will rebound. Oh, yeah. And uh, the arts are still there. People are going to crave it. They're going to want it. Yeah. And they need people like you, and they need people like the listeners that are out there right now to, to just pursue and push forward and think a little bit out of the box. So again, Dean, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was a, it was a great time. Thank you, Billy. You got it.